Hello and welcome to Living Stones, a podcast of conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church, highlighting the victories and struggles, the snapshots and stories of the people sitting right next to you on Sunday morning. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions and your fellow seat warmer at Red Mountain Community Church. My co-host today is Ryan Bruchette, our pastor of junior high ministry, a.k.a. Legend of hey. the Apex. Oh, man. Are you? I don't know. You were playing at some of the men's retreat, right? I was playing at the men's retreat. And yeah, I average like a kill a game. I'm better at Apex than uh, Fortnite, I think. Fortnite, okay. So yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Do you think as one who has your your fingers on the pulse of the hot new trends, Mm. do you think this is the thing that parents need to be aware of now and think and just like aware of what Apex Apex Legends is? Or is it not quite the hotness yet? Yeah, it's not quite the hotness yet. Okay. There was a second, everybody was like, oh, dude, all the streamers on Twitch are going to get passed up with Apex, and it's going to be better than Fortnite and all that, and it just didn't happen. So okay. Fortnite's still number one. Parents are still more concerned about that game than they are about Apex Legends. Okay. And uh, yeah, we're going to be okay. All right, so parents, just settle. This is nothing to get stressed about. Just right. to focus your efforts still on learning how to play Fortnite. Yep. Uh, and then you'll have mastered everything about parenting. There you go. You heard um, it here first. I can't remember if I asked you this last time, Ryan, but I asked Hallie this question last month, and I thought it would be a, a good one for you, too, if I can put you on the spot. Let's what do would, it. What would you say, just kind of given your wiring, um, you know, like what your natural inclinations are, as well as your skill set and stuff like that, strengths, weaknesses, all that factored in, I want to know the most fun or natural part of your job, and then I want you to follow that with the hardest or most challenging part of your job. Okay. Just off the top of your head. Off the top of you my can, head. You can, you can yeah. say that you can. You have the freedom to change this answer as soon as we're done recording. Oh, great. But just tell me what pops into your head right now. Okay, so most naturally part of my job. Yeah, uh, fun I, and natural. I love uh, being able to uh, create um, how we use our space. Uh, so whether that's creating Wednesday nights, uh, creating uh, events, creating uh, certain like ways that we do meetings as a junior high staff and then delegating things out. Uh, So when it comes to essentially that blend between administrative and relational, I love to make that a creative space for me and and kind of go places with that. So whether that means we're going to be doing a night of just board games or or mafia, card mafia, and like some desserts with students, or uh, whether that means that uh, our staff is going to go out for a Christmas party and do like an escape room, all of that sort of gather and then get creative with it. I love that. But so you, are you talking specifically about like the planning stages of that? Yes, the vision planning. and like here's an idea. Oh, and here's how here's yeah, how we can make I, it come together. Yeah, I'm like halfway in between vision guy and like admin guy. So okay. I like to call myself ideas guy. Mm, okay. <laughs> so how about like the uh hardest or most challenging part? Yeah, the hardest or most challenging part of uh junior high ministry, I would say is so for me, I'm in this really uh um, interesting time where I'm trying to grow into being a better teacher of the word and and continuing to refine my teaching and my teaching style and how we do information hmm. a- and formation together. So whether that's discussion times and teaching or just me preaching or me trying to use different avenues in that, I'm finding what's getting harder and harder for me is that as I'm growing as a teacher and being trained in and, and how to do this with uh, the guys around me and, and resources here and, uh, and, and what I'm reading and learning, I feel like it's really hard sometimes to not uh, just go past or above or, or through maybe where my students are at. And okay. so being able to uh, teach well and, and teach um, 
uh, intuitively for, for 12, 13, 14 year olds, rather than uh, trying to prove something myself by learning information and then throwing that at students like they can catch that or like they're mm. getting that or trying to impress the room yeah. more than actually teaching. Yeah. Um, and so I find that really difficult because I'll really rile myself up in trying to get after some theological interpretive nugget that literally no one else cares about yeah. except me. Uh, <laughs> but I make it such a big deal. And, yeah. and that can kind of, uh, um, I, I think that could has the potential to really hurt the understanding of what I'm trying to teach more than help it sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. that's well, something. If I can affirm you for a moment, I thought that like the approach you had at the men's retreat um, when you shared just some of your background and, mm -hmm. and you had this really confessional style. It was very, it was very biblically based, but it was also just you sharing mm -hmm. your own uh, journey and wrestlings and stuff like that. And, uh, and so I think that there's, there's a real strength in in your potential. I don't, you know, and I know I know that that's not going to work for every situation and right. dealing with junior high students and stuff like that. But I was really blessed by that. And uh, gosh, any any of you guys that missed the men's retreat, you missed out. You missed out on something special. Oh, thanks, so, um, Appreciate uh, that, man. Thank you. Um, all right. So for the you know weird off the wall, we got to have some gimmick, right? Because you kids, you kids, you you won't listen to the podcast unless we get all wacky. Got to be. Weird and wacky. <laughs> Gotta have a gimmick. Dance, monkey, dance. So here's the gimmicky question <laughs> this time, and that is, what is your favorite sound? Okay, so my favorite sound. Uh, it's definitely rolling clouds in the distance, like thunder. That's not too far away, hmm. but also not that close. And like rain before it starts pouring, like the pit pat. Like oh. a little bit, like, oh, is it raining? Kind of rain? Yeah. And then the thunder rolling up, but not like the storm, like, oh my gosh, I got to plug my ears. Yeah. And not like the heavy rain where it's just like, and it just sounds like white noise. It's like that nice in-between sweet spot. So like if you go camping up north, you get about 15 minutes of that, mm -hmm. and then boom, you're you're in it. That's got to be an Arizona thing, right? Did you grow up in Arizona? Yeah, I did. I did grow up in Arizona. I think right. like we. I think if you ask people like in Washington, right. they'd be like, "I don't want to hear rain ever again." No, but, no, uh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I can relate to that, dude. I love that spot. It's a sweet spot. So I'm like, I gotta open up the windows now, or I gotta go stand outside now and and catch it before it becomes too extreme either way. Mm. I. I've got my birthday coming up, and so my uh, wife always likes to get a, a list from me so she's not in the dark, and frankly, I like giving her a list uh, because I'm selfish, and I like to get things that I like. But she's, uh, I, 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 can't, I came up with nothing this time because, uh, you know, I, I was just, yeah, I had no ideas. And then I realized, oh, I know what I want. And so I sent her a link to one of those um, humidifiers uh, that like, what, what do you call it? There's a, there's a name for it. It's a, there's a spinning disc inside the humidifier. It's a cool mist humidifier. So when you turn this on, it's got this nice hum, but then on top of that, it's got the, and it's a nice cool mist. Um, and Peter, what, I have no idea what you're explaining, okay. but the way you're explaining it is amazing. Okay. So I'm locked in. Well, here's the thing. I think that this is a technology that is totally being phased out. In fact, this was one of the only ones that you could buy still, and it was really overpriced. You know, <laughs> it's what? but like when I was a kid, and I would get sick. Um, you know, if it was like a con congestion thing or whatever, right. you would use these humidifiers, and you can get 
warm mist humidifiers. I think those are a lot more common, you know. Um, but these humidifiers are used to help loosen up all the gunk that you got in your system. Truly. And so I began to associate feelings of rest and recuperation and being all snugly warm in my bed and not going to school and reading you okay. know, comics or whatever with Dude, this sound, with this sound and with the feeling of the mist on my face, you know? <laughs> and so... And I was like, I'm there with you, dude. You visually described it all. Okay. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm 40. I'm dealing with all kinds of stressful (laughs) thoughts that are ramping up a little bit. And and yes, you know, this is this would be a band-aid on a cannonball wound. So yeah, I'm pursuing other spiritual disciplines to deal with my junk. But (laughs) but I was like, you know, gosh, I would like a sound. I would like this experience that I associate with rest and recuperation. And so I'm really looking forward to my birthday because I think. I think I'm going to get it. I'm looking forward to it for you as well. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. I've lost my script here. Where's... Oh, yeah. Transition. Great. Uh, earlier today, Ryan and I spent some time talking with Marina Stender, right. who uh, grew up in Russia. And actually, you know, during like when it was still the Soviet Union, she was there for uh, a lot of that. And and uh, she talks about what a formative experience that was for her, and especially when it comes to uh, the spiritual things in life and just mm-hmm. her journey to faith, which uh, started in some ways in Russia and then continued in some really interesting ways when she came to America. It's, it's like a multi tiered, multi-layered story. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything. Let's just get into it right now. Thank you, Marina, for being willing to sit down and and do this with us. I've been really curious to just kind of hear about your story and your background. I just got the a little bit of a skeleton of it, but I didn't want to hear, you know, all the details. I like to hear all those fresh, you know, while we're sitting sure. and talking, but... Um, thank you for being willing to do this with us. Of course. It's an awesome privilege. Uh, your church background is uh, is relatively unique, as well as kind of like your um, uh, national background. Where where did you grow up? Yes. So I know with my Russian accent, people probably, I, I know you guys know I'm Russian. Usually I make wait, pe- wait, wait, people what? guess. You're Russian? I say, hey, take three guesses, and it's amazing what you can find out. People think, where are you from? But... Where do I, they usually, where, if, if not oh Russia, where do gosh, they say? Like I heard Brazil, I heard New York, which is like, what? okay, huh. maybe Brooklyn, and there's a lot of Russians there. But, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, Greece, like all over the place, but Eastern European is most of the time, and then they try to get it on the map, and I would say, no, it's East, it's the bigger, and it's amazing how people don't know geography sometimes. But oh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. That's, that's, I grew up in Moscow, which is the capital of Russia. The Capital the capital, of Russia. yes, okay. the cool place. Um, when I grew up there, it was called the Soviet Union. That was the country. Uh, now it's separated, and there were 15 republics before. Russia is the country now that's separated from Soviet Union, and Moscow is where I grew up. Um, my family, my mom had the long roots in Russia. They were generations of uh, her family that lived in Russia. Then my dad was actually from Armenia, which is, I don't know if the listeners know, but that's part of like the, in uh, south of Russia, south of Caucasus. And um, they met in Moscow. He went to conservatory there. He was actually an orchestra conductor. Oh, that's super cool. studied for that. And that's where they met. And they lived in Moscow. And that's where I was born. Cool. This is, well, I am one of those like, 
uh, Americ- dumb Americans that doesn't know. I, I usually say I'm not good at geology. They're like geography, Peter. Geography. geography. <laughs> um, so this is going to be hopefully a little bit educational for me and fun. Um, what are what are your some of like maybe just your general memories of growing up? Just what it was like growing up in Russia. Yeah. So I guess the best way to put it would be I lived there for 20 years before I came here. So. Those 20 years, I think that they were um, kind of radically different, the childhood part, from the teens' years. Um, the reason was, obviously, there were a lot of changes in Russia when I was a teen, but I guess I'll start with my childhood, okay. give you guys a little background. Um, so it was very happy, careless childhood. I grew up, I was born into a loving family. I was an only child. So I was a little spoiled. Um, my grandparents played a really strong role. Um, they were around all the time. My parents worked. Um, but I guess why I say it's careless, even though there was nothing on the shelves, there were you know shortages of basic uh, services and mm. supplies. Everybody was in the same boat. And mm. there was togetherness. People mm. were kind of equal. Everybody lived in the same same, you know, I lived in the eighth floor of this 12-story apartment building. Oh, wow. Okay. All my friends lived in the similar housing accommodations. Everybody had like a one or two bedroom apartment. We all went to school. We all had the same kind of things, breakfast, lunch, dinner. We all wear mm. uniforms. Um, but So you really felt the, the, the positive community that positive comes with community. communism, right? Correct. Yeah, okay. And... That's good you say that because, yes, I was a very kind of thought to obey the rules, you know, respect the elderly. Yeah. There were some really good things that we were thought to be disciplined in the yeah. ways we behave ourselves. And mm-hmm. um, that resonated with me. Yeah. Um, and then my parents worked. Uh, my mom was an engineer. My dad was, like I said, he was uh, in music. Um, and we were, you know, kind of a middle uh, class, I guess. Everybody was a middle class. There wasn't really, like, I didn't ever witness uh, severe poverty or the riches. Everybody yeah. was kind of that huge middle class. Okay. We had the summer house outside of Moscow. We would go there. It was, the Russians called it dacha. We'd get there every summer for three months. You're in the woods. You nice. know, you like berry picking, mushroom picking. Oh, it sounds so like, like frolicking like, through the fields. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's like the cabins people here sometimes have in Payson. We have yeah, that. Yeah. And most Mo- Moscovites fled to those. Uh, Did you say the, Moscovites? Moscovites. People wow. that lived in Moscow. I like that. Love to get out of the city. Okay. Um, so that was, yeah, the childhood was pretty happy. I didn't realize I was pretty much, very much influenced by a lot of the communist uh, views, Soviet views. The only thing, I guess, was maybe negative, and I remember that being awake at nights as I would be questioning my life purpose. And how's that all going to end? One day I'm just going to die, my parents are going to die, my grandparents, who I love so much, just going to all perish. Like, what's the purpose of all of that, our existence on this Earth. How old would you guess you were when you were having those kinds of thoughts? I'd probably like six, maybe seven. Oh, wow. It was wow. pretty wow. early on. Okay. I don't know why. I was always, um, I mean, I know why God probably wanted me to start seeking. I would come to my parents who were um, the product of the communism they didn't grow up with 
any Christianity, any, uh, anything like that. So they couldn't really comfort me in any good way. So that was, I remember that pretty vividly. Do you remember by chance what they might have said, what they did say, like to try I to think, comfort I mean, you? Knowing my parents and then be, go back to sleep. Nonsense. Mm. Talk. I mean, we were <laughs> not in my uh, ho- household really deep discussing those kind of things with six-year-old or seven-year-old even. Sure. They just kind of said, okay, that's annoying. Get back <laughs> to bed. So I would. Um, but then the teen years, so the teen years kind of coincided with the beginning of Gorbachev air. You guys know it was like 1985 where everything started changing. Um, perestroika, have you heard that? word before no. perestroika basically it's the changes i mean there okay. were um the soviet state regime was crumbling um gorbachev was very i i mean i liked still like what he has done um he introduced freedom of speech mm. you no know, democracy all of that um came into my world and i was a teen in that. Um, Amazing. That's 1985, you said, 1985, right? 1985, yeah. So that's not even that long ago. So, not yeah. that long ago. For you. For me. For me, it's like a, I don't know, it's a long time ago. It seems like, because I was Russia, and now I'm here, and I have family, and it's just yeah. like a whole Russia different Russia to Arizona. World. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It has to be like polar opposite. Yeah, and I want to get to that. Um, but before we get there, were there... Were you connected to or influenced by any forms of Christianity while you were in Russia? So um, the Christianity, I don't know if you guys know about Russia, the pre-Soviet Russia was actually a Christian. It was a Russian Orthodoxy. Um, they are Eastern Orthodox. That was the belief since 19, or 9th century that was introduced to Christianity, was introduced to Russia, and they were very um, strong Russian churches. It was pretty much um, the last czar, living czar, Nicholas II, who was killed by the communists um, during the revolution. He was the head of the church. Hmm. So he was actually like the bishop as well as the czar. Ninth century to then. Yeah, that was like the beginning of 20th century when the revolution happened in Russia in 1917. So for the 20 years, 1917 through like 37, there were over 200 thousand clergy killed, wow. murdered. Oh my gosh. Hmm. Um, there was widespread persecution of the church. And basically they did a really good job eliminating, destroying the church buildings. They were just being blown up. Hmm. People were persecuted if you were a believer. So um, my grandmother though, she was born into, uh, I think a very strong uh, family of faith. Okay. And that was early and then 20th century. So I did see glimpses of that, that she had faith. She was um, like the most loving and kind person I've ever met. Mm. She was a big part of my life. Mm. Uh, like I said, my parents were at work all day long. She was the one that was cooking for me and uh-huh. uh, with me and just showing me the love of Christ. I didn't know it at the time, but now I can see how her whole story, her life, and just being such a giver and just living for others um, spoiled me rotten. I mean, that was the the down part of her being so loving, but um, she was. I did see her on her knees. I mm. did hear her praying under her breath a lot throughout the day. Mm. 
I didn't understand. She didn't, like I said, we weren't ever discussing things in the family. It wasn't okay. like, I know um, maybe it's more typical of a Russian family not being so deeply emotionally, um, uh, I guess, describing things and how you feel. And it was just like, this is what you do. And you move on with your life. And um, But she never really explained things to me about her beliefs. But she did drag me to church a couple of times. Okay, so there <laughs> were was, there were churches. There were you, still you, some churches. Okay, how, wh- and then why Moscow, were they allowed to exist and the other ones were destroyed? Do you know? There were several that were destroyed in Moscow, like okay. the huge cathedral. I know they rebuilt it now. Um, but in outside of Moscow, I think it was a lot easier for the socialists to destroy those, as nobody knew. There were still foreigners uh, in living in Moscow and visiting Moscow right. during the Soviet times. And it was a big, you know, dark, I guess, spot on the socialist uh, re- regime. So there were some um, agreements made, I think, from like the English church and American um, that the, the Russia al- allows some religion to oh. remain in Russia. So okay. Moscow so made Moscow it really visible. did have a few churches okay. and okay. they were uh, not very well attended. They were just grandmas there. Anytime I go there, you know what you guys say, babushkas, even though it's <laughs> pronounced babushka, it really means grandmother, but that's what you see at churches. Just some old ladies, you know, there's no youth there. Okay. There was no Sunday schools there. There was nothing being mm-hmm. thought. There were very strict Orthodox churches. There were no benches. You just stand up and you sometimes hear the priest, you know, they just kind of walk around and do the ceremonial things. And you come to, um, they had all these uh, icons. Uh, you oh. know, there was mm-hmm. the, it's similar a little bit to Catholics. Yeah, okay. That they pray to Virgin Mary. They pray to saints. <clears throat> so my grandmother would go and she would take me with her. It didn't do anything for me other than, when can we get out of here? And can I get my ice cream that you promised before you drag <laughs> yeah, me in here? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> the other thing, they actually, my, my grandma uh, insisted on baptizing me, which is baptizing there more like christening, which okay. is you don't really have to believe. It's just a ceremonial. Yeah. But she believed in her heart that that was going to help me. And uh, that was going to still solidify me with, mm-hmm. you know, get me in or something. <laughs> so I think at the age of maybe 12, I this time it wasn't just ice cream. It was like some some really cool toy oh. that I requested if that Up was ever. Auntie. Yeah, so I got something out of it, but the, <laughs> I was sworn to secrecy. Like I couldn't really tell anybody about that in oh. school, teachers, friends, because that would not go out well. I mean, they could okay. get a phone call or mm. whatever. So it was, I remember they gave me a little cross as I finished my baptism, put it over my neck. As soon as I got home, I took that off and I threw it behind like the tallest closet. And I said, okay, that's it. It ends right here. Hmm. And that was pretty much, I think that, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah. Christianity. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in kind of the, the climate of uh, of Russia at the, at the time that you were there, I, I asked my family uh, uh, getting ready for this interview. Uh, I was like, "Well, if you if you were in Russia, just found yourself in Russia, and you could speak one phrase in Russian, what would, what phrase would you want to know how to say?" My uh, my uh, let's see, my youngest son Titus uh, is eight, and he said, "I would want to know how to say how are you today." 
my wife, Holly, chose where is the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> uh, I chose where is the American embassy. <laughs> <laughs> I am a dumb American. Please help me. Oh, Get me out of here now. <laughs> and, uh, and my oldest said, do you believe in Jesus? And I said, well, that would be a really really interesting question to ask because my impression, I told him, is that a lot of people there don't like Jesus or at the very least are not interested in Jesus. So how how would you describe the the climate uh, toward Christianity that you... Uh, that you particularly felt, what was it, uh, you know, how, how do you think growing up in communist Russia affected your view of God and Christianity at the time? Yes. So um, have you ever heard this saying, religion is the opium of the people? Yes. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Is that Marx? Marx. Man. There you go. So that's Marx in like 1800s. The saying that communists took and uh, impounded into our heads. So we grew up in school, that's what we believed. We had, you know, not any glimpses of Jesus, but, uh, you know, portraits of Marx and and Lenin on every wall. And um, we were thought that that's how uh, people who are uneducated or um, needed something, they didn't really understand science. This is something that they could believe to explain the world to them. We have... Men in first men in space, right? And I think 1961 in Russia, yeah. Gagarin oh, wow. went into so, space. He looked, there's no God there. Mm. He, you know, we even went to space. We, our science at that time, uh, we that's were. That's an amazing way to create arguments for no belief at all. Like yeah. Marxism, just like, hey, religions for, it's outdated. And then look, we're in space and we saw, we have science. Like that's right. an incredible way to pound that in. We have images of the space. Yeah. Look, kids, you know, this is what a man can do. Mm-hmm. So that was, man can do all things. Man is smart enough. You guys are being born in this bright future of building communism, building this world that uh, no one else has. And you don't need that. You are smarter than that. We are educating you to know that uh, you can you pretty much work hard, you do the right thing, and you can explain the masses that they don't need to be controlled by something as silly as, you know, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. That um, pretty much was it. I mean, in the, my teen years, again, all of that started crumbling away, where we saw that everything they were telling us about the uh, the bright future. That was not so, you know, mm. that there were uh, millions of people that perished during communist time for their mm-hmm. beliefs, for, mm-hmm. you know, opposition to politics. All this started coming out. And there was the freedom of speech where we were just bombarded with that information. Mm. That was chaotic. And as a teen processing that, I just Basically, there was a lot of other things, the Western pop culture and uh, that came in flooding in the first McDonald's that opened in Moscow. Oh, wow. stood that line had for to like, have been kind of cataclysmic was, to have wow, McDonald's you know, open up. I like, know. The, the symbolism behind that <laughs> right. is incredible because it it's like, was. here's the West entering in and everything we've been inundated with just goes away with right. it's like free the, market capitalism The in West Moscow. is not the evil that we, right. you know, thought it was. I mm. stood in line for two and a half hours to get my first Big Mac. And like, <laughs> woohoo, oh, you know. How was it? Was it worth the two hours? Uh, it was. Because oh, we've never yo. tasted anything like that. And, right. you know, just the concept of 
they just like the Russians just have a sandwich with like a meat on top. There was like other stuff on top and then another bun. And another bun. The bun had like the little sesame <laughs> seeds on. What are they thinking? Oh, and the packaging, <laughs> the packaging and all. It just It was just, I mean, we've never seen anything like this. Wow. Um, so all of that is what I was preoccupied with. I was just um, after, you know, wow, what's the Western world like? It was hmm. very and exciting yeah. to me. Um, other people like my grandfather who was a very honest man of high integrity, lived his whole life to build a bright future for his kids and grandkids. All of a sudden, all of that was just lies. Mm -hmm. Suffered heart attack after heart attack. It was mm -hmm. really hard on him. But for me, being a teenager, I was super excited about the changes. And um, I'm sure that there were missionaries that came flooding in too. I, we did hear about a lot of the missionaries that came in from you know, the Jehovah Witness and Mormons, and those came in pretty quickly. And um, we were very opposed. We were warned that there were, you know, uh, different kind of uh, societies that they get you in and you can't get out. So mm. that even scared me more mm. away from religion. Wow, now that the Westerns are coming in and they are, have all these weird groups and weird churches, we don't understand anything about any of that, you know. Maybe that sounds I'll just, really overwhelming. Yeah, it was. And so... For a teenager like myself, I'm just like, okay, well, not interested. So you had no, this experience you. where suddenly the West was coming to you and that had a sense of fascination with it, but also a lot of caution with it. But then at some point you find yourself coming to the United States. So how, what brought you to, you to the United States and how old were you when you left Russia to come here? Right. So yes, like I said, I was kind of drawn into uh what else is out there? Uh, all of the things they were telling us about the West is not true. Maybe I'll go find out for myself. But um, it kind of happened that I met someone from the U.S. My friend was dating an American, and he had a friend visiting. So that was uh, how I met my future husband, not the one I have now. Okay. <laughs> okay. That one. Um, so after dating, I was 19 years old. I was just completely not sure. Well, I, I was already a student in a civil engineering university in Moscow for three years, but I decided to leave all that, not even graduate, and go. Uh, he proposed to me, so I thought, hey, cool. I go and get to, to America. go to America. So that's how I came here. He, he happened to live in Phoenix, Arizona. I came here um, when I was 20 years old, and... We got married and it was a complete culture shock. It's not what I thought the state was going to be like. What we saw were more like, new, uh, you know, high scrapers in New York yeah. and all of, of that stuff, like big that. billboards. Yeah. And 1993, Phoenix was, hey, I was born there was year. like farmlands and no people <laughs> on the streets. And it was Flat. just like, a couple cows. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I was totally shocked. It was not what I envisioned it to be. Um, and hot. And hot. No, I, I came in October. I actually came oh, on the 31st of October, which was Halloween, which we didn't know anything about either. I, sure. I arrived at LAX. I remember coming out of <laughs> LAX and seeing people dressed, dressed up, up and like weird oh, stuff. Man. And um, yeah, my fiance at that time took me to Denny's. I think it was like the only thing open that Legendary. late. And they were... Crazy people there too. So, oh my gosh. yeah, I was a, not prepared for what I 
saw. I was doubting whether I made the right choice coming here. Sure. But I was determined. Like I said, I was always thought to work hard and, you know, study. And yeah. so I went to Had those values Phoenix Community head. College, yeah. tried to get my English to the point where I could attend uh, university and finish my civil engineering Did you already studies. know English before you got out? It was rusty. Okay. It was not, I mean, like I could communicate enough. I had my little dictionary with me at all times. Didn't even have anything Clutch. like we do now, a little app with the translator. Oh, yeah. You know, had to look things up frantically. So, yeah, Google Translate, um, not there yet. So, yeah, but I, since I came here in my 20s, I didn't really know English well enough to go study um, and continue my education at ASU. I was home a lot and just watch a lot of soap operas. <laughs> and I learned my English that way. It's oh, kind of funny. What? <laughs> That's cool. But I remember, I mean, no, it was like, I love Lucy was at, I don't remember, right. 9.30 in the morning. Then there was another one of those older shows and then started like the Oprah and all of those other ones. So I there watched like all of them. And within a couple of months, I actually spoke pretty good English. That's nice. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so did the change of, of location and all that culture change too, did that have any uh, effect on your view of of spiritual matters at all? Um, I guess not in my 20s. Okay. My early 20s, I didn't really, um, the guy I married turned out to, uh, he wasn't a believer and he was uh, abusive, not physically, but mentally, mm. just very controlling. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't really have many experiences outside of home. Like he wouldn't introduce me to people. Oh. He was kind of like just, you know, working, work home kind of guy. And even I met a couple of people when I started uh, going to Phoenix Community College and they were Russian yeah. immigrants. And a lot of those people are oh, wow. came here through um, a Jewish refugee lines, but also they're in the same boat as me. And they came from a non-believing atheist Russia yeah. of my time. So I didn't really have any uh, Christian friends or any influences at that time that I can call that or maybe they were and I just didn't pay attention or I just didn't find that that was anything that I was interested in. So what would you say as you kind of got settled in here, what did you start to pursue? What started to, what, what, did, what, did, what did your life become about? What were you pursuing? So the American dream, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. All the right. American like dream. This. That's, this. <laughs> uh, you could see the opportunities, how uh, people who work hard, they got to where they wanted in life, you know, it was pretty much self-centered, mm, yeah. completely materialistic view of the capitalism. Mm. And mm -hmm. that might have been also left over from the communist times where, you know, capitalists are basically everybody's work for the good of themselves. And, mm -hmm. and that's what it's all about. And I could see how that could be done if, you know, going to school, getting my degree, getting my first internship and... Um, getting my first townhouse and really working, working and um, getting to drive, you know, my Jeep Wrangler. I the had. Jeep it Wrangler. Was, what color was it? With a little, it was green and oh, it had a yeah. little like a bikini top on it in Arizona in the summer. I didn't yeah, have take, air conditioning, yeah. but it was coolest thing that I could actually go and buy that mm. myself. Yeah. Being from Russia, that was like the coolest thing. So hmm. I don't know. I was into all those things. Um worldly riches and that was uh everyone who were my friends were also immigrants from russia i i got a divorce at that time i got out of that bad relationship mm -hmm. gotcha. um 
met a lot of the people who came from my country too. And it was like, I mean, Scottsdale had a really good nightlife. It was a lot of that. We went out every Friday, Saturday night into the clubs and work Monday through Friday. I was an engineer then. I could support my traveling. I love traveling. So that was all kind of self-consumed all the way into like my late, late 20s when it was the first time I think I started waking up finally mm. from that. What uh, what thoughts kind of, you said wake, waking up, what, what kind of thoughts woke you up from, from that? It was, I was getting pretty... Uh, empty on the inside from mm. that kind of existence. I mm. didn't really feel fulfilled. Got that, been there, done that, and yeah. you know, now what? Mm. What what's next? I was starting to search for something more of depth. And I didn't know what it was. I really didn't think it was God. I was just thinking, you know, maybe I need to get married and have family or what was it that's going to fulfill that emptiness inside. Now I'm told that when you met uh, the, My husband, your husband, Chris, yeah, yes. yeah. His name is Chris. Chris. Okay, great. So I'm told that when you met him, you guys had a ton in common, but you had one very significant difference. So I'm really curious about what you had, what you know, some of the things that you had strongly in common, and then what that big difference was. Yes. Yeah, so we, yes, we met, um, and it was kind of love from the first sight, the first first date. It was kind of a semi blind date. Mm, um, okay. We brave woman. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, there's a story behind that, but that's for a different podcast. But anyways, um, we met and we just started talking and we had a lot of things in common. Like he lived in Europe for a couple of years, uh, going to school there. Um, he's, during his university, he did like an exchange program. So he was very well traveled. His undergrad was in history. So like he knew history of Russia Better than me. Wow. Like oh, pre, man. pre. That uh, has to be impressive. Very. I was very impressed, especially, you know, I don't know, from uh, someone from Arizona who really, usually I would yeah. have to give him a little uh, round down on Russia and what's and where it is and mm -hmm. what's about. But he knew it. He like really um, knew that he at that time was not really walking with the Lord. That was, so the one big difference was that um, I found out soon enough that he was a believer. Okay. And that was shocking to me because he was educated. He was, he was an attorney. He um, was very smart. I mean, we, yesterday I was preparing just saying, hey, I think one thing that we have in common is we intellectually equal. And he goes, equal. I'm completely superior. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyways. Don't you have the engineering degree? Come of on course. <laughs> so I said, no, you mean me. I, I'm the superior. So, anyways, we had a lot of that in common. But when I found out that he actually, in you know, in his heart, he strongly believed in God. And, and he um, told me that that was a big difference and that I had to find out for myself that is that is the truth. Mm. And I thought he was completely brainwashed by the American. I, I knew the Americans were, you know, in Russia, even we knew that they were the churchgoers. On a Sunday, everybody goes to church. And that was kind of, we felt that you guys were brainwashed. Sure. And not that we were yeah. by our evolution theories and all that, but that uh, Americans were. And <laughs> evolution <that> was... <laughs> theories, man. Incredible. Yeah. So um, that was a difference between us and I basically said, okay, fine. Where do you get your beliefs? He said, that's from the Bible. I never held the Bible in my hand hmm. until that time. In Russia, um, we didn't ever have a Bible at home. 
even now when I go back and um, they have Bibles, they are translated or, or basically they're in the old um, Russian language that no one uses anymore. The Russian Orthodox Church has not updated its translation of the Bible in the last, I think, 200 really? years. Wow. 200 so years. if you've tried to read the Bibles that you, I mean, now uh, the Westerners brought the more uh, uh, newer Bibles, the newer mm -hmm. translations, but the actual Bible that the Orthodox Church supports is mm -hmm. hard to read. Mm -hmm. So um, here I found a student Bible and I said, fine, <laughs> you think that, you know, this is it, I gotta, I'm going to read this and I'm going to prove it to you how this doesn't make any sense. And so that would give me more ammunition in our debates on the biblical. So I was thinking I was going to bring him over to my side. There we go. And, With uh, a open up Bible. his eyes. Yeah, open up his eyes. The evolution, like, you know, the pictures I had from my childhood, all the little stages of the ape and everything, that's completely was engraved in my brain. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I kind of started reading the Bible. So were you, first time. you know, you kind of mentioned the idea of you guys kind of debating back and forth. Um, did that, was that something that you both felt comfortable with in your, in your relationship or did that cause friction or was that uh, like, I'm, I'm just curious yes. about that dynamic in, in a relationship, this, that, that this was a, an established romantic relationship at this point. Right. Um, had you guys been talking about marriage yet at this point or was it just an established dating relationship? Uh, we were talking, we were, um, my husband also been married before unsuccessfully. Okay. Okay. So it was for both of us would have been our second marriage. I okay. was in my late twenties and he was in his thirties. We kind of knew that, you know, this was it. We liked each other. It was a good thing. Him not walking with the Lord at the time, I think, um, God sent me that man for a reason because mm -hmm. he knew that if it was a stronger you know, he was stronger, he would probably not have been uh, persistent after me, after me and my beliefs because I would have just been probably insulting to his beliefs. Mm, uh, but you. he wasn't, and he was open for uh, those debates and he found it interesting and he oh, found it yeah. uh, challenging that, you know, that's that was a, a challenge and he appreciated it. Cool. So, that is so cool. it actually worked out really good between us. Wow. So in the in the research mode, because you know you're preparing a debate, and you're going yeah. point by point. Did that start to turn your heart towards? Wait, actually, is this true? Like the irony of debating, did that kind of lean you more into belief, or was it not that cut and dry? I mean, just I remember, of course, I told them I'm going to start in the Old Testament and I'm going to go through it. And my student Bible had a lot of notes. So the hey, creation all theory. Out there listening. You yeah. hear this? Yeah. Come on now. Student Bible. I got it from Borders Bookstore, Barnes and Nobles at that time or something. Nice. Cool. And uh, creation, I just started reading through that. That was mind-blowing. Like, I had no idea that this is how, you know, God created the world. And that I started, of course, uh, there was a lot of things there to debate with my husband on. Sure. But um, he was, uh, he loved to read. So he was very well-read. Uh, read a lot of things and uh, was able to help me with some of those. He told me to jump into the New Testament. I remember he said, mm -hmm. this is what Jesus did for us. And this is what, you know, the depth of our faith is. And I didn't grow up with even knowing and understanding the Christmas story mm. or the resurrection. Mm -hmm. None of that. I mean, the Christmas was a work day in Russia. We mm. celebrated like Rough. the new year. We had, it was funny, we had like the new year of a green tree. It was not a Christmas tree. Okay. It was evergreen. We all exchanged right. presents and all that, but it was 
completely non-religion um, based. So I didn't hear Christmas story. I didn't know about Christ. Um, mm -hmm. I got kind of lost in the Old Testament by myself without attending the church. So I did jump against all my uh, logical mindset <laughs> into the New Testament where I actually started. That's what drew me in, Yeah, okay. where I saw um, how Jesus lived for me and how it was actually a gift that was just there. Hmm. I still didn't comprehend it, but at least I wasn't as uh, bold in my arguments anymore. I saw the love and the kindness of his sacrifice and his life, hmm. and his just sinful or sinless nature yeah. that um, wow. was there for me. Why, you know, what's so bad about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone gave his life <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, but again, it was still difficult because we didn't attend the church. We did get married at that time. Okay. So um, we were not church attenders. Um, I uh, had a coworker at my work and he, it was a very strong Christian. Okay. I don't know why, but I think it was obviously another seed that was being planted mm. that he would come and we worked long hours at that time. We had a lot of projects. So he would come over uh, when everybody left and he would, just poke me with those questions. So, you know, what do you what do you believe in? Or you know, being from Russia and you know that Jesus died for you. You know that if you died today, where would you go? What do you think about that? And hmm. Sometimes it was irritating, but at other times I was, you know, it was kind of putting uh, thoughts into my head of mm -hmm. um, that I needed to know more. Um, we had our first child. She was two and two years old, the terrible twos. Um, Again, my coworker said, "Hey, my church has this parenting class on hey uh, Sundays or Saturdays. I think it was Saturdays. Uh, do you want to come?" I said, "Sure." He goes, "Free childcare, free, completely, all that good stuff." And I said, "Okay, we'll go check it out." So that was my first introduction to a Christian church. It was in a church in Phoenix, um, a Baptist church, very strict Baptist church, but. Uh, the pastor that taught that class was amazing man. Mm. And I just saw how, I guess, God worked through him. Super gracious, super kind, uh, no judging of me. And my. sometimes I think some questions I ask, obviously, were maybe kind of rough mm -hmm. about questioning sure. some of the theology behind the parenting, um, but provided a solid foundation for my parenting. I like that. I like that I could reference the Bible and mm. some things that came from there on how children obey your parents and whatever. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that. Um, so that was my first introduction to uh, both of ours. I think my husband and I, when we came to church and we actually saw something there. So then you did you guys start going to that church? No. So I we went to the parenting class and they invited us several times. Um, one time, I think I, we came on Sunday, uh, I didn't really feel drawn there. And then shortly after, we moved. We moved to San Diego. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so there then, we um, got a flyer in the mail, and it was an Easter flyer from a local church. And we thought, we'll go check it out. So we came. That church had a beautiful outdoor service. Oh. It was like beautiful San Diego weather. Yeah, in San Diego. Beautiful Sounds outdoor like service, Easter. <laughs> um, pastor Bob was another pastor also, Bob, oh, okay. there at the time. 
powerful message. I don't remember what it was, but we decided to start coming. And mm. that's how we uh, started coming to the church. And then from that point, um, I still, I mean, I was seeking, but still kind of busy with parenting and uh, being a new wife, new mother, mm-hmm. moving to San Diego, all that stuff. Um, kind of lost in my Bible reading, I think, at that point. Um, didn't know what I believed anymore. I was super confused. Mm. Um but again, God was merciful, and He sent another person who was another Russian. Oh, but wow. she, one big difference: she was a Christian. Oh, she was about my age. She grew up, you know, had the same background, but she accepted Jesus a few years before me. Wow! And uh, she came to the same church, so oh, we had we had three girls. They had three girls. It was just had a lot in common, started spending some time. And one time on the hike, we went hiking. She told me her testimony. She told me her story, how she was saved. And that was super powerful for me, mm. thinking that, wow, that's what she thinks, that God did all these things for her mm. where she is today. And she could really kind of just see the hand of God through her life um, to where she was. So that was the first time I've ever heard a testimony. Super powerful, guys, your testimonies. Mm. Um, and um, yes, yeah, so that was one. She invited me to come to a Bible study at that church. And they did a, they had a women's Bible study on Thursdays. So I came in uh, just to check it out. I remember I sat like in the back and people kept coming to me saying, oh, do you have the book? Did you buy a book? I said, I don't want a book. I'm not going to stay. I just want to <laughs> sit in the back and just see. It's like very cautious still. All the, you know, the brainwashing that I grew up with and how I was influenced it was always told me, stay away. Do not trust. You know, I still had a lot of that baggage. Um, and so I sat in the back of the church. There was another lady there from Sweden who also came to check things out. And then we sat together and we were both like from the same kind of, you know, like different backgrounds, but in the same way, she was searching for something. She didn't mm. know what, but it wasn't. She wasn't there to stay, and we agreed on that. We um, <laughs> supported each other. But again, God was merciful to me. And uh, another lady came after. That was a Beth Moore study that they did at that time. Classic. Got the name of it, <laughs> but um, a lady just came afterward, and she had an accent. She was also from Sweden, and she said, "Hey, you know, I see that you knew. I have a." You know, small. I lead a table here on Thursdays, and you don't ever have to come again if you don't like something. But you know, just come and check it out next Thursday. So I'm like, okay, fine. She seems kind of nice because of the accent. I don't relate to her. <laughs> Bonus <laughs> she, points for the accent, I right? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so I started coming to that, and um, I'm sure I'm skipping over some things, but there's no skipping. It's fine. You're this good. this was a time where. Um, Back at home, my grandmother passed away. Mm. So 2007, um, she passes away, and uh, I had to fly back. And the only things that I remember, I was super distressed because she was uh, such a strong person in my life. Like the unconditional love that I've experienced was from her. So flying back on the plane, knowing that I'm getting there for a funeral, Mm. I'm going to see her. That last time, um, the images of her praying on her knees and praying for me, I started understanding that, you know what, I might have a chance to see her again Mm. in 
that life, uh, afterlife, where she, I know that's where she is. That's where she is. She mm. was a very strong believer. Um, she was probably praying for me to get here mm. one day. That was super comforting. So that was all that was happening. Then six months later, my mom um, suffers a massive stroke mm. again in Russia. Again, I fly back. That's only a couple of, yeah, a few months later after my grandma passes away. That was her mom. Mm -hmm. So my mom now has this. I fly back this time. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to find her alive or not. I know she was in intensive care. This time I bring my student Bible with me on the plane and I'm reading that all the way on a 13 hour flight. And that's at that point, that is the only thing that's comforting hmm. to me. Um, get there to Russia. She's pretty much paralyzed. Hmm. Uh, I'm in her hospital room. Again, what can I do to my paralyzed mom? You know, besides spoon feed her and do some things like that. She was crying a lot. She was in distress. Obviously, she couldn't speak. That was also paralyzed. Mm. But when I read the Bible to her, I found a newer Bible in Russia, and I started just sitting by her bedside and reading it to her. That's when she would stop. The tears would stop rolling, and she would fall asleep. Wow. That was super comforting to her. Mm. And Incredible. Um, but again, I wasn't, like, I did not make a decision even then yet. To, mm -hmm. That was 2007. Um 2008, my, my mom passes away. Um, and then again, God is uh, giving me my third daughter. Looks exactly like my mom. Hmm. She is born just a few months after my mom passes away. We call her my, by my grandmother's name, Paulina, and she resembles my mom. Hmm. Um, I see the hand of God. And hmm. in that, for me, that was so comforting to my dad, too. He lost his wife. Um, had a granddaughter that looks like, just she still looks so much like my mom. Mm. Um, so that divine appointment with the Russian friend who test, testified um, was in 2009. The first Bible study was like a fall of 2009. And then finally, towards the end of that first Bible study, uh, right before the Christmas of 2009 is when I felt so much turmoil. I was like on fire. I seriously didn't have any peace. I was waking up and uh, the only thought on my mind was, what are you going to do about God and Christ? What are you going to do about it? Like there was, I couldn't think about anything else. It, he was so, I think, fighting for me at the time that I just couldn't just do even my normal daily things of being, you know, parent and wife. And the only thing was on my mind, you have to do something. It's a yes or no, yes or no hmm. was the question. So I went to a um, women's um, pastor's wife, who was also the pastor's, uh, or she, she was the leader of the Bible study, women's Bible study. And she, first thing, she comes to me. I was walking to her to kind of with my turmoil. I wanted her to maybe pray for me. Or, um, she said, hey, you know what? I've been praying for you. I like have such a strong, uh, just I woke up with this, uh, message in my mind. God spoke to me that you really needed me today and I've been praying mm. for you. And uh, is there anything you want to talk to me about? Is there anything you want to ask me? Like, I'm here for you. I, I have that strong desire to, you know, anything that you need. Like, I feel God has been leading me. I mean, we have like 100 women in our Bible study, right? She comes, 
basically right running to, to me when she saw me. I'm, I'm running to her. She's running to me. I like just started bawling. And I just couldn't <laughs> speak. I was like, ah. so then, of course, from my, you know, Bible studies, I'm like, okay, what about this? Tell me about the questions to this. Like, I don't understand this. And I went through like 10 questions that were just, you know, not settled about Christianity with me and things in, in the Bible that I questioned. And she, you know, great, graciously explained those to me as much as she could, but for the most part, she said, you really need to just go home and just pray. Just be on your own. Just sit down, just pray and pray that God, you know, gives you the rest of the answers. There will be a lot of questions um, in your mind always. And it's it's normal. I don't know. I, I, I don't know some things and you won't know, but you need to see what God wants to tell you about that. So that day I went home, I sat down <laughs> and I prayed and I I asked Jesus to forgive me and to take me the way I was with all my shortcomings and, uh, you know, sarcasm about, you know, the things that are maybe don't make sense and all of that baggage and just help me and take me the way I was and I would be the best, you know, that I could be to follow him. That's pretty much how it went. Wow. Wow. That is such a... Uh, and it's just an interesting, you know, some people will, when they talk about how they came to faith in Christ, it involves like some big event and it's just this kind of this one thing. And to hear your story, it being so, you know, layered and such a process over time is, uh, is really neat to hear, you know, that, uh, that that's one of many ways that people can, can find themselves, uh, being found by Christ, so that's yeah. that's really cool. What uh, now? You've been um, at uh, Red Mountain for a while. What have you come to value about being involved at Red Mountain Community Church, given your background, given the journey that you've uh, been on up to this point? So yes, yeah, so we um, so we we moved to Mesa. Uh, when did we move? Uh, Two thousand thirteen church seeking we kind of went through so a little more background um after i was saved uh it was a perfect timing god's timing is always perfect i didn't know why it had to happen then but god knew exactly why we were up for a major trial with our um everything financial um my husband basically had uh several lawsuits filed against his law firm mm. um, and major, major stuff. We didn't know if he was going to ever be able to practice law. Oh, man. Um, we got advice to get a divorce to save some of our uh, finances, to separate them. Mm. Ungodly advice, of course. Um, Yikes. We went to our church pastor and his wife, and they basically, that was in San Diego, they prayed over us, told us to stick together uh, through... And that's where God really gave me the peace of knowing that He is, He saved me. He was with me, even though I might not have anything tomorrow to provide for my children. We had three kids at the time. We lost. We had to sell our house to pay for attorney fees. Mm. Um, God provided a very good attorney who was from our church to help us through that. But that was a three-year process. Mm. And there was a lot of injustice and, and how that went down and why those lawsuits were filed to really destroy um, our family. And uh, 
God pulled us through. Mm-hmm. He pulled us through. We pretty much almost went bankrupt, but um, we had to move to, we, we, we couldn't afford California anymore. We had to move here and um, start over. But through all of that, we had peace. And I mean, to say that obviously we didn't have uh, scare, we weren't scared at times and mm-hmm. um, they weren't things in our marriage that we um, didn't question. It was interesting because when I was became a believer, I was so strong uh, following Christ. It was just basically I turned 180 and I mm-hmm. said, okay, we're not doing this right. We're, you know, this and this and those things have to change. My husband wasn't walking with Christ yet. And mm-hmm. he was, he went on his first men re- men's retreat um, in uh, with the church in San Diego, and they asked him to share his testimony. And he was terrified. He said, you guys didn't tell me you're going to ask me about my testimony. I have no testimony. I have a perfect, you know, career. I worked hard. I'm, you know, have my uh, business, my wife, kids. It's great. Like, I'm sorry. Find someone else. <laughs> that was um, October. Uh, no, that was like September. In October, that major, the two major lawsuits got filed. And so it was September and then October. Yeah, the oh. next brutal. God, wow. I, <laughs> we were joking. We said, "You spoke and God heard you." Oh boy. Hey, Stander yeah, here man. needs a testimony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did he give hilarious. us a testimony? Oh, That's boy. another thing. My, I told my husband, maybe you need to do a podcast about how God um, delivered us mm-hmm. through that. Um, and I remember that Christian friend told Amen. me, "You know how." Um, Israelites were in the desert for 40 years because they were not following and they were their hearts were not turned. You need to be right on with God and follow Him so you're not stuck there for 40 years in the wilderness. And we did. We, he got baptized again. He was as a kid, but it wasn't just like that earning to follow Christ. He gave his life to Christ again. He got baptized. Um, we started coming to church, uh, volunteering through all of that. And we moved to Mesa and uh, church searching here to answer your question. Uh, it was a little tough in the beginning because we were so well connected and so felt like so supported through all of our turbulations um, there. Um, yeah. But we started, we came to Via Church for a while okay. and checked that out. And, um, and then we said, hey, well, there's actually a church closer to our house this Red Mountain Community Church, we were scared by the size at first because mm. it was so big yeah. compared to what we were used to on the congregation. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, Pastor Bob was still leading the church. We liked what we heard. Kids really got plugged in pretty quick. Cool. Woohoo. Yep, woohoo. All the children. <laughs> Take another one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's go. They, um, and it was a Bible teaching church. Mm. I came to a couple of um, like the Moms to Moms group and uh, um, saw the message was solid. Uh, the teachings were solid and the people had all the different ministries where we could get plugged in. Church that wasn't just learning, they were doing, mm. they were helping. I saw a lot of outreach and um, that really drew, drew us in. Mm. We enjoyed being uh, in a church that doesn't only hear, but actually puts their hearing into action and follows that message out mm. into the world. Yeah. So. Wow, that's great. I'm so glad that Red Mountain could be that for you. And and I, I appreciate you serving Red Mountain by coming here and just sharing 
your journey. I think it's so important for us to to hear uh, what that looks like and how it can be so different and and God orchestrated and tailored for every single person. So Ryan, is there anything else that you wanted to cover or ask about, or are you good? I think I'm just, I think I'm just struck by <laughs> the incredible I, like irony of your whole story of just growing up and immediately hearing, uh, hey, look, we're educated and we're going to work hard and communism is going to save us. And look, we went into space and we didn't see God there. And then um, that kind of not really uh, staying together. And then this idea of uh, like a McDonald's popping up in um, Moscow, making you go, wait, hold on. Is that all there is? And then you end up um, meeting a guy who is really educated and um, is all superior. about... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, superior. Yeah. Superior education. Right. <laughs> superior intellectually. And, and so all those things kind of that uh, you were inundated with, he's, he's got some of those things like, yeah, hardworking, smart, but knows and follows Jesus or maybe not at the time, but knew Jesus. And, and there's this extra component of like, wait, you can have those things. Those things can be held in tension. Um, and so I just find that, uh, really amazing how that story, um, there's just a lot of irony in the story, redemptive irony, I guess I could say, Hmm. um, not just irony funny, but, um, redemptive irony in that. And, uh, it's super cool to see that, um, play out and Christina is hilarious so I'm glad she's in a junior high group right now All she right. asks really good questions does she so now I see where she gets it from alright yeah. discussion time Christina goes hard good nice. alright yeah. that's my girl yes and uh, I want to share my favorite verse with please yeah please do everyone um and that's, you know, God gave me that verse when we were going through all of our troubles. Um, it was despite all of those um, uncertainties about our f- future, uh, we had peace. And that's the one thing that I think it couldn't come from anywhere else but from Jesus that you look at your life that's falling apart in front of you and everything you work for your whole life, and then mm-hmm. you just have peace about it. It's that Jesus that is the only source of that peace. And Philippians 4, 4 through 7, with a couple of things taken out, but um, rejoice in, Lord, in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's um, totally played out in my life. And, um, you know, we, we rebuilt actually our home the way it was kind of turned upside down. It, God rebuilt it being Christ-centered, and that's Christ as the center of our home. And uh, all the other things fell into place. You know, we, my husband does practice law, and he's a very, very uh, good attorney. He's successful. Uh, God gave him that back, mm. but now it's all um, thanks to him. Everything that we do and that we have, and I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey, <laughs> who always says that, um, you know, everything I have, it's not mine. I'm mm. just here right. temporarily. I'm just taking care of God's stuff mm-hmm. for him. And that is um, so that is how he turned our lives upside down for that. And he is the one that's the center. Well, thanks again, Marina, for sharing all this with us. It was great. It was my pleasure. 
Well, Ryan, what stood out to you from our time talking with Marina? I just think it's amazing how much God pursued uh, all those little moments from literally being in like the thick of communist Russia and all of the inundation of Karl Marx and atheism and um, just again, some of those things she touched on about the intellectualism and hard work and Sputnik and all of that. And and God just really pursued her at every level um, and, and in various stages. And I think it's really interesting to me that her grandma had, she, she explained it for a second, her grandma um, was a solid believer and would pray under her breath and would uh, kind of... Um, plant these seeds, I think really when she was a kid before her even really knowing it, there was just this reality of a praying grandma who who tried to live out the faith and tried to be as caring as she could. That had to have done something, at least subconsciously for her um, when she was younger. And and I really do think that a praying grandma um, uh, is a big deal. I know for my mom and, and my grandma, my mom's mom, she's always been sort of a herald of the faith, mm-hmm. uh, especially for me and for my mom. And she's a big reason why my mom is a follower of Jesus now. And I think her prayers had a lot to do with me being a follower of Jesus. Um, and even in the black community, that happens a lot. Uh, you talk about how your grandma in the hood will actually pray for um, uh, your your grandsons and your boys to grow up in the faith. And uh, praying grandmas are just a really big deal and hmm. and and it works so those babushkas she's talking about that's a or babushkas oh yeah yeah i didn't do the right <laughs> emphasis um i think had a lot to do uh with even the beginning stages of her noticing um little ways that the faith was embodied yeah. so that was encouraging for me to hear yeah what what, what jumped out to me i think was that I didn't hear in her story that there was like this one person that brought her to the faith. There was this one person with this one transformative moment. And I think that, you know, sometimes when when I think about like unbelievers in my life that I really care about and that I really want to help them come to an understanding and acceptance of the truth about Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's so easy for me to put the burden on myself, like yeah, I, I couldn't. Maybe I wonder if I'm the only person in their life that's going to tell them about Jesus, you know. And if I don't do it, then it's they're it's not, never going to have. They're not going to hear no what they else, need to hear, you dude, know. Right. And so, hearing a story like that, I think, is really important for us because that it it relieves this totally fictitious burden that that we can place on ourselves, <laughs> yeah. like we are this big deal, <laughs> yep. that God's going to use us to do all the work that He wants to do in this person's right. life. When the fact is that there. There are all kinds of people in their lives, mm-hmm. some at various places in their own faith. I mean, like her husband, you know, she said he was an instrumental part, but for a lot of that, he wasn't really walking with Christ, yeah. but he was still a part of it. He was yeah. still being used. And so I, I, I come away from that story. I'm like, man, no matter where I'm at, no matter how little I think I have to contribute, um, I can just be relieved of the burden of solving all this person's problems and just bring what I have, you know, and and just let God take care of the rest, you know. Dude, that's good. For sure. Amen. Um all right, hard left turn into waitlist topics. We're talking about the poll segment now at rmcchurch.org/podcast. The uh the poll for this last month is uh, what is the worst part about spring cleaning? Uh 24 <laughs> Said, I don't know. I don't know if this is percentages or not. This just says twenty-four laundry, nineteen 
vacuuming. Oh, maybe maybe those are percentages because then there's, like no, there's a note that says a lot of people left comments saying all of it, LOL. Um, what do you think, Ryan? What's the worst part about spring cleaning? And so when I think of spring cleaning, I think of a slightly too warm garage that we're trying to organize. Hmm. And uh, my house that I'm living in with a bunch of guys right now, uh, that's coming for us, mm. the garage organization. Mm. And so I can already feel it and I'm dreading it. So mm. it's not it's not vacuuming. Um, I would say garage organization. That's it for me. And huh. pulling weeds. Okay. Yep, we got a lot of weeds to pull. I, all, none of these answers really make sense to me. I mean, I generally just trust that the spring mechanisms will work, so I don't bother cleaning them. This is a really weird question. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for uh, this episode of Living Stones. Oh, you can follow Red Mountain Community Church at MyRedMTN on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also help us by leaving a review of the show on iTunes, sharing what do you think it. of it so far. Yes, please do. Finally, you can go online to rmcchurch.org slash podcast to submit responses to our poll questions and leave questions for the guests featured on the next show. On our next episode, we'll be talking with Gray Leesberg, I'm really looking forward to that, about how God uses the power of community to transform a spirit that has been hurt and broken into one that's filled with peace. Uh, you can go online to rmcchurch.org slash podcast to submit your question for Gray, and you may just hear it read on the next episode episode. In the meantime, in the meantime, I'm Peter Franson. Uh, oh yeah, I'm Ryan Ruchette. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Sunday. <laughs>